0: Okay, so it says here avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. So you're being recorded, Rupert.
1: Right. (laughs) Otherwise, there would have been a lawsuit coming your way. (laughs) Um, Or a law dress, as the case may be.
0: Very good, very Very inclusive. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you you suggested this. This is the Kino Kingdom 4 now. And I've just finished the second, so I am catching up. But um, you said you've got like nine films. Um,
1: I think it's only eight. Come on! Oh no, you said eight plus the one we saw together. Oh yes, Yeah, So it is nine, in fact. Yeah, it's good. I almost forgot about virtual combat.
0: Yeah, 1995's ninety-five's finest hour, and that includes automatic with Oliver Grunia. <laughs> um, so, um, I'll go first. Then, seeing as I'm, because I'm recording, I'm technically the host. So the ones I've got are Twenty One Bridges. Did we discuss Twenty One Bridges last time? Briefly, because I watched it and i recommended it yes right okay so 21 bridges yep. killer elite uh, mission impossible rogue nation mission impossible yep. fallout yep. mary and
1: virtual yep. combat good well i've seen all of them except mary so that's good I, I watched the mission impossible ones very recently so that's good yeah it's a weird one because um i'll, I'll get into it
0: later on but I, it was uh, ever since we watched dumb and Dumber captured on this podcast a few months ago, it's kind of opened up uh, our our reasoning of like, oh, let's watch a film. or let's just watch an action film. And instead of thinking, oh, I want to watch a horror, like just going with the flow. And it's actually been quite nice just watching different genres.
1: Yeah. Like, I like the idea of you like branching out to different genres is straight into action movies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: like really massive budget action movies. (laughs) (laughs) This is weird. Because in Mission Impossible no one goes down a ladder and ends up on a roof. It's bizarre. The editing is fantastic. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <It actually> makes <laughs> geographical sense. It's so strange. Right, so the films I've got are The Witches, Erin Brockovich, Just Mercy, The Rock, 48 Hours, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, uh-huh. uh, Dante's Peak, and Pocahontas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite a range. It's interesting because you've named a few films there
0: that... A couple that I really like and a couple that I liked as a teenager and now question. Mm. I, I so, think I know which one you
1: might be referring to there. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's Kevin Smith syndrome is what it is, isn't it? When, yes. you, when you're like, this is cool, this is so cool. And then you watch it 30 years later and then you go, is it? Is it though?
1: <laughs> Mulrats was a classic example of that. Because I, I think maybe I was a little bit too young to get into clerks or clerks at the time. So, my first Kevin Smith was really more rats, and they're so funny at the time.
0: Yeah, but... oh, they're just like us, they're like me and my mates.
1: Yeah, no, but, I'm pr- but the bits I remember laughing at, I feel a bit embarrassed to laugh, even even embarrassed to even remember laughing at. I'm <laughs> embarrassed, <laughs> embarrassed to, too embarrassed to remember laughing, I'm afraid. <laughs> <not>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very specific syndrome. <laughs> yeah, and then the, he tells a joke. And then you just go really red faced and like well up. And, it, and it's like, no, it's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to, you can laugh. You don't have to remember laughing at the same joke previously. You can just <laughs>
1: laugh. And that's a different thing. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you want to kick off big time. Okay. Well, we'll start off then
0: because um, I, let me just have a little look. Well, I'll, tell you what, I'll start off with the, um, the Mission Impossible films and I'll just do them together because, um, yeah, I just fancied. Tom Cruise. No, I just, I was listening to a Mark Kermode and Jack Howard podcast. I'm not sure how much of Jack Howard, Jack Howard, I can listen to because he has a few mannerisms that I find irritating. Who uh, so is
1: Jack Howard? He's a he's a
0: 28 year old film critic. Um, uh-huh. and it's um, it, it's, I think his his approach and like his laugh and stuff leans a little bit too into youtubers for me there's something a bit youtubey about his about his presentation and i just find it a bit grating um so yeah I, I watched i can't remember the reason yeah he said that mission impossible rogue nation was like his favorite and it was better than fallout and then i realized i the last one i saw oh, was the one before that which was called Protocol. Ghost protocol, and I didn't like it because Jeremy Renner was in it, and I thought they were going to try and replace Tom Cruise with Jeremy
1: Renner, which is something I thought. I well, think that was the original plan, but they really, really dialed that back in, the, in the, the following funny. two, didn't they? Just, he just got an irritating, f- like it seems a harsh thing to say,
0: but I just don't like looking at him. Like he's not like he's an ugly mm-hmm. man. I just find his presence a bit grating. He
1: is, can be good when, but only when he's a supporting actor. In I'd Wind find. River, Wind River, yes, and also in the town. He's really good in that.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I like yeah. both of those films, but in yeah. my head, that's not Jeremy Renner. I don't know no. what it is. I don't know what it is. I, about I think him. it's Hollywood's
1: insistence on in trying to make him a leading man. Same as Sam Worthington. You know, they get these guys and they're good looking, so they kind of just. But Jeremy Renner. He's not even good looking. He looks. He's got a weird, rubbery face, is not he? Uh huh.
0: You are oh. quaffing.
1: You are quaffing. Oh, uh, if you're in New York, you'd be coughing. You're quaffing.
0: <laughs> if if I had strayed within two meters of another man, I would be coughing. <laughs> I mean, it was, you it, know, it's, um, it, we went out for a walk. It was, and it was so hot that when I came back and I went straight into this, I realized I'm so thirsty. <laughs> but, um, I was too lazy to mute my third album. Um, so yeah, it was, so I watched, um, watched um the right way around. We watched, yeah, Rogue Nation and then yeah. Fallout. And I watched Rogue Nation, and I, I really, I've got to say, there's just something about, Tom Cruise, he's almost like a fail-safe for me. Like if he's in a film, we've had this conversation before, but he's not he's such a such a solid screen presence that you know the film is gonna be of a certain quality. Um and I was watching Rogue Nation, and I really kind of got swept up in it because, of course, I've got like a massive TV now, and I've got, I've got like a really nice soundbar, and that suits that genre perfectly.
1: You haven't and, mentioned Sean Harris yet, but I'm sure but, you will.
0: I'm you, you bloody right, I will, because who is secretly becoming one of my favourite people?
1: Uh, because because he whispers everything. He's so, and, yeah, and I know. And,
0: you got any lozenges?
1: <laughs> He's so menacing in everything he does. Ponson. Like they could, he could be quite wasted in that film. If you see what I mean, he could just be like a slightly creeper-looking dude, but he's genuinely quite menacing.
0: Yes, because you, you get the impression that throughout the film that you're not really sure what he's capable
1: of, yeah,
0: or his abilities and stuff. And um, yeah, he needs to wash his hair. In in not so much in that film, in the second one, oh, he needs to wash his hair. <laughs> um, so yeah, I watched it, and and I I just really liked it, and I and I just thought I love the set pieces and. I mean, Luther Stickel and even Simon Pegg. Um, like, and I quite like Simon Pegg's character because he's not your typical like IT geek. Although he's kind of like doesn't really want to get, you know, he he's doesn't look the part. He does get involved, and he actually he's not just a two dimensional like oh I'm I'm the IT nerd or, yes. like you know, every time fires again I run away and, and cry sort of thing. And I like Vin Rames is an actor I've always liked, especially in uh, what was that film he was in? Striptease with Demi Moore. <laughs> Oh my um, god. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I like, I like Ving, Ving Rhames a lot. And, and yeah. I watched the film and I thought, yeah, I think I've been with this series on and off since 1997, six, six.
1: Six, yeah.
0: And I. I liked it so much I thought I'm going to watch Fallout Then I might just start from the beginning again because the first yep. Mission Impossible is so, so different to the rest of them. It's, it's so much more like, it's such a, like, almost like a little genre piece. Like, it's yeah. almost like a staged kind of thing, and I really like that. Plus, it'll have some amazing use of early internet in it, which I always enjoy. In
1: films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it quite recently. It's like... Because I've never actually seen it, but it's Brian De Palma, of course. So it's got these really, it's got these really virtuoso kind of like shots in it and stuff, and like these cool set pieces. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's got a very different kind of tone to it, almost. And it's it's, mu- it's more much more, more like,
0: but like like smoky, filmed at night, um, like a very much a, sh- a shady company working behind the scenes sort of thing, as yeah. opposed to the all out. They're just the good guys, and this is just a lot of action set. Oh pieces. yeah,
1: it's very, it's very much more old-fashioned, really. It was yeah, fun, like the TV series, I guess. So,
0: like the yeah. second one could almost just be a reboot, because uh, it, it's so different tonally. Um, so ton yeah, I, so I watched Rogue Nation, really, really enjoyed it, and then I watched Fallout, and I will say that I think Mission Impossible: Fallout is one of the best action films oh. I've ever seen because it was. It's about two hours and twenty minutes, I think, and mm. I was watching it with Faye and I paused it. I think. To get it, knowing me probably to get a drink, and I paused it, and I was almost like, I don't use the term often, but like, do you when you kind of like a little bit breathless and worn out by like the, the intensity of everything that's happening. Yeah. Everything's so, so full on. And so just yeah. demands your attention and stuff. And I paused it and I thought it was like two hours in, but it was only like 50 minutes, but I thought, Oh, that's amazing. Cause I'm enjoying this so much. Yeah. It's like, they just, it's like they're packing in what could be like almost two or three films into one monster. And, yes. and there's no, there's no, like, um, there's nothing flabby about it. It's all just like, boom, boom, boom.
1: Yes. it was. It's very, uh, it's very intense. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and Sean Harris think, is
0: used more as well.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know it was was like uh, two hours and twenty minutes. It doesn't feel like, that way. No, not at all. It's paced well. So yeah, because it doesn't really so, matter how long a film is if it's engaging all the way through, and if know?
0: every scene adds value to it. Yes, it's, it's so. Um, but yeah, obviously you got Alec Baldwin in there as well, and I kind of liked what they did with his character. Like it, again, yes. no one, no one is kind of just really two-dimensional it's it's not yeah. just like good and bad and there's some like decent conversations in this and there's some like and i and i love that there's a lot of in those two films especially and i can't remember the other films well enough but a lot of sequences where ethan hunt is in a situation and you think you are completely fingered <laughs> and you cannot get out of there, and then they do and it's it's like oh that was cool i like that it, it never felt yeah. cheap and i never felt cheated as a viewer
1: Yeah, so there were no Deus Ex Machina moments where it's like, okay, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, the whole thing about crawling around the dark, finding a shotgun or whatever it is, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Like, I'm thinking, like, when he gets rescued, it's like, right, okay, so someone's just, it's, it's all to do with like someone just thinking ahead or thinking outside the box sort of thing. So, yeah, you never feel cheated. What was that reference then? Crawling in the dark, finding a shotgun. I, th- I'm sure, I don't know whether you told me about this. Um It was it was a book i read yeah it was a book you read that was it yeah
0: yeah it was a book and it was quite a well it was called the furies i think it was called the furies Mm -hmm. by someone and i was i read it years ago and it was baffling because it was really well received as this real like post-apocalyptic like adrenaline-filled book but then when i was reading it i remember the word somehow was used so much there was a bit where like he's (laughs) trapped underground in like a collapsing mine and he just described like how hopeless it is and then it just says somehow we find a way out and you're like, what? what? <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. And then there's a bit where he's in a house and he's getting attacked with these like alien things. And he's like, somehow he found a shotgun. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's right. I thought it was a film. I thought, please no, don't tell me no. they made a film of it. But, but yeah, yeah that, I mean, somehow that's... we found a shotgun. That should be a moment we refer to. It's
1: like <laughs> Deus, it's Deus Ex, Ex Machina, like writing, isn't it, really? It's like, I don't like the author like, can't work out how they get out of this situation, so therefore they just conjure a shotgun. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: conjuring the shotgun. <laughs> that was Ted Nugent's favorite film.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the thing about Rogue Nation and Fallout as well is the fact that jeremy renner isn't in it so much that helps yeah yeah because i i know what you mean about ghost protocol it's got some really cool sequences in it but it it is very obviously seems to be um preparing the takeover if you sort of mean uh and and that was a bit dispiriting really because he has not got the charisma of tom cruise and
0: you and and you don't need the whole point of like everything in the, the mission mission impossible itself is like he it's like Ethan Hunt is like the driving force and he's got a team. So having someone on an equal level with him just kind of dilutes everything a little bit. You, mm. you, you want the focus to be on one man doing these things. And yeah, absolutely. And I think with um, Jeremy Ren like dipping out of it a little bit. And I, I'm just going to say this and I and I don't care who disagrees with me. And I'm just going to say that Rebecca Ferguson is pretty.
1: Well, hang on. <laughs> I'm going
0: to have to edit that out. Like, I know it's
1: complete. Let's not, yeah, let's, not th- let's not throw around these controversial comments. Yeah, it's there was se- like
0: in that I know like he's got his his wife Julia and obviously she comes back into it a little bit, but there were sequences in that and it, it never and I like how it never just devolves into like a love story. But there yeah. were moments in it and where you think, yeah, I I can genuinely see the cameras. I can genuinely see why you would fall for this woman. It makes perfect sense in the story and yeah. like because she is a complete screamer and again not a two dimensional character. Yeah. So yeah, big big fan of those two films and it's made me want to watch them.
1: I'm going to work backwards. Yeah. I would say that the, the early ones aren't quite as good. Well, the first one's quite good, but the John Woo one is a bit of a mess, especially when he just beats up, what's his name, on the beach at the end. Um, is it like, hang on, no, don't say.
0: Uh, Doug
1: Ray Scott? Yes. And it's just like a, slight, he's a slightly older man and a weedier man. He just like have, has a fight on the beach in slow motion. It's awful. <laughs> the third one is the J.J. Abrams one, and that's okay. Uh, that's the one where the bomb goes off in the woman's brain.
0: Oh my god! The eye, and the eyes go. Yeah, amazing, amazing scene.
1: Yeah, uh, that's got a really good final sequence, bit really exciting ending. But yeah, I, I just think, yeah, it basically the first one's quite good, but very different. And then really, it's the modern ones: the Ghost Protocol, um, Rogue Nation, Fallout. There, I think that's where it's almost rebooted really isn't it
0: yes yes um so you know that that was that was my take on it like i know it's a bit (coughs) i like in these podcasts talking about like sort of more niche retro action films and horrors and stuff but if if it's going to be a huge blockbuster it's got to be a great one and and i think that they just they are like a high watermark of the genre sort of thing
1: yeah and when people die they actually die yeah, which is good. Which is good, unusual in a blockbuster these days. So,
0: <laughs>
1: that's yeah. a fair point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right then. So, um, well, the first on my list is the Witches, <clears throat> which is a bit of a. I, I don't know if you've seen this film. From is this a 90s film? It's from nineteen ninety. Who's yeah. in it? Sorry, I think I when you say the Witches, I always think of the Witches of Eastwick. Angelica Houston is in it, and. Um, Rowan Atkinson. Uh It's a lot of British actors. The fact it's, that you're struggling to remember who's in it isn't a good sign. Uh, like, um it, it's a load of British actors you'd recognize. People who who now cropping up in, like, Downton Abbey and stuff, basically. But anyway, this was, so it was directed by Nicholas Roeg, and he was oh. the guy, he was the yeah. guy who did performance with Mick Jagger, and uh, Don't Look Now, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, uh, whoever thought it was a good idea to get him to direct a children's horror film is I, bizarre. Because so, yeah, I remember this film being quite a big deal at the time. Um, but I think it flopped pretty hard at the box office. It's, I'm not really it surprised.
0: On, it's not based on a Roald Dahl thing. Yeah, is it? it is. It's based on the oh,
1: okay. thing. Really and it's a it. pretty flimsy story, really. Because it's about... It's really dark. I mean, this kid's parents basically just die at the start. And he's raised by his grandmother... And they live in Germany and she believes in witches anyway. And they go, um, they go to England and they stay in this hotel and it happens to have like a conference of witches there. This um, is really bringing back memories for me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's amazingly scary for children and too kind of like shallow and silly for adults. Really? Uh, Jim Henson does the like puppetry. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's, but but Rogue is like he's such a strange choice for a, like a children's director because he uses loads of like naturalistic lighting and like handheld camera and these weird crooked close-ups and and it makes everything really uneasy and but but also the fact that the script isn't that good and the performances are pretty bad most of the time. Um, well, bad in what way? Like like, like over the t- Well, just like a lot of it seems to be post dubbed in a weird way. I I've noticed. I mean. In, if you watch Don't Look Now, I mean the sound quality in that's quite poor. There's a lot of post dubbing in that, so I don't know whether it's something that Nicholas Rogue was doing, but anyway, Angelica Houston's really good, and she kind of like really chooses scenery. But but then she hasn't got nearly as much to do as she did in the Adams Adams Family films, so there's not really enough of a reason to watch it. Um, but basically, the film is centered on two like really insane sequences, um, which is one is where the witches tear their faces off to reveal the witches. And the other is where all the witches are turned into mice, basically. So, and it, that's it's basically when all the Jim Henson stuff comes into it. Other than that, it's pretty.
0: I've got a fun. feeling that I watched this film, and it was like when there was we we had like in school. So when this was released in 1992, so I would have been in school, and I think it was one of the ones they chucked on. You know, it was like a treat for everyone, and I don't think yeah. they realised how dark it was. And I remember watching it as a kid, <laughs> and I remember being so frightened, but like trying not to show I was frightened, but feeling really uncomfortable
1: yeah it and is I really- think
0: that's why I think that's why I remember certain series because I
1: think it's imprinted. the terror is imprinted in, in my mind. it is genuinely quite frightening um yeah there's um there's quite a cool scene where the kid who's been turned into a mouse like scuttles around a kitchen and he's like dodging feet and dodging falling into like vats of uh boiling s- soup and stuff so and i that made me think that probably inspired Ratatouille a little bit, but um. Yeah, over uh, there is a remake coming out as well this year, apparently. Uh, Nicholas Rogue again, or no? This is directed by Robert Zemeckis, so slightly <laughs> different hands, and co-written by Guillermo del Toro, obviously. Oh, nice. So I'm, I think, although it won't be as weird as this one, I think it will just be better, really. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, Roald Dahl hated the way they changed the ending in the film because at the end, it's like it's just a really happy ending sort of thing like but it would have been pretty fucking dark it's over 20 years old Rupert so please divulge okay so basically he's turned into a, he's turned into a mouse i mean they've got rid of all the witches but he's a mouse still and he's living with his grandmother and he's te- he's saying to her look i don't mind being a mouse it's quite fun really i don't know how long i'm going to live and it's quite dark and all that kind of stuff and his his grandmother's like really worried and then one of the witches who survived and his good witch comes along and turns him back into a boy. And that was the thing that Roald Dull absolutely hated. Because it was... But then I think it needed it after the sheer darkness. And like horror of what had gone on before. Just to leave him as a mouse would have been really, really awful. Yeah. So uh, it's worth watching as a curiosity. But I, I don't think it's a very good film. It's not anyone's favourite film sort of thing. No. No. It's probably given a lot of people nightmares. Yeah,
0: so that was The Witches. Okay. Um, Well, I did two in my one, so do you want to do another one?
1: I've just remembered another one that I've checked on my list as well. Okay. Um, Well, I'll jump on to Erin Brockovich then, because I've been meaning to watch this for ages, but it's one of those films where it's like, eh, do I want to watch Uh, this?
0: I think I watched this. I say watched it when I worked in a video store, the golden days. I think it's very much not my thing, but I think I put it on as I was serving customers. So I, I have watched half of it.
1: So mm. I kind—I
0: know the setup, but yeah.
1: yeah. So it's like a true story set in like early nineties. And Erin Brockovich is like a single mum involved in a traffic accident. She uses a local lawyer, ends up working for them. And then she uncovers this massive conspiracy at a local power company, which has been poisoned in the water causing cancer in the residents and stuff. So, um, and apparently it's, it's extremely accurate to the real events, which is always a bonus, but, um, so, basically, she's able to kind of mobilize the community to take class action. Um, and what's quite nice about it is the reason she's able to mobilize the community is because she's not a lawyer. So, basically, she can walk in and say, I'm not a lawyer. but And then she, she's very relatable. She's very kind of angry and funny. Um, and she's quite annoying, but she's also principled. Um, and it is a really good performance by Julia Roberts. And she did win an Oscar for it. Oh, okay. Um, and it, I like the fact that it's not the most like obvious box office hit because it, it is a feminist film about poor people, which isn't really a recipe for cash, but yeah it's um yeah it was very uh very good, and it's it's carried by her really um there must be someone who kind of
0: represents the evil of the power company and I'm assuming it's an um, older white man
1: yeah, who is it I don't think there's anyone specific
0: um'. Oh, yeah. it's not- you're not going to like reveal that it's like um martin
1: short or clunes <laughs> <laughs> or, or sheen as i was originally gonna say um well no i don't think there's really no there isn't really a figurehead for the evil side of it i mean albert finney well, quite is nice, boss? Boss. Yeah. yeah well it but that kind of in a way speaks to the the slight kind of shallowness of it because because it's, it's very much like a David and Goliath thing. Um, and, but it, like, it doesn't really, I mean, it's just this power company is like this kind of a unseen entity almost like it's just this big thing. And so you never, obviously it never, sh- it never goes into detail about what they are up to, or it doesn't try and humanize anyone from that side. Um, but I don't know whether it really needs to, because it's much more about Aaron Brokovich and, it's quite cool the way that Aaron Eckhart's in it is her like biker boyfriend guy uh, who's, and what's quite nice is that his character is basically the, the character that women have been playing for decades where he's essentially the suffering housewife at home sort of thing, looking after the kids and saying, I can't do this anymore and all this kind of stuff. So that was quite cool. But yeah, I'm not sure that it's got a lot of depth to it, but it's, it's very much a crowd pleaser. It's like a, a, a feel good movie, I suppose. Uh, and I think Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, has made more challenging, kind of hot topic films, like *Traffic* and uh, yes. *Side Effects*, and of course *Topical*, *Contagion*. As yes, well. yes, a bit more hard hitting. Well, um, Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth the watch because it's just really well made. Um, yeah.
0: I, I again, I don't know if it's one of. It seems a bit too light for me to to th- ever think I'll watch it. There's so many other things Mm. I'd probably check on. But um, no, that's good to know that that's uh, a little bit different. What made you watch that film? You want a Steven Soderbergh bent
1: or was it just? Um, I think it's just, it's been on my watch list for so long now. Um, Mm. But I might as well mention the other film I saw, which was also courtroom kind of thing because it kind of relates to it and it's much harsher and deeper, which was Just Mercy, which is free on the Microsoft store. Yeah. Currently, to rent because, uh like, in support of Black Lives Matter, because okay. it's about a um a miscarriage of justice which occurred in, in the 1980s in Alabama, and um, uh, yeah. So it's a true to life thing. Um, and it's basically about a guy played by Jamie Fox who is um, he's arrested for a crime he very much didn't commit, and and then Michael B. Jordan plays this young lawyer young ambitious kind of uh aspirational lawyer uh, who comes along and wants who believes he can kind of get him off because it's so obviously a miscarriage of justice but of course he is facing (laughs) like a system which is so inherently racist that he just doesn't have a chance it's got tim blake nelson in it who's really good as well uh really creepy um but yeah, it's um, it's it's very quietly directed. It's like not very showy or anything. Um, Who actually someone, directed it? Sorry, it's but someone called Destin Daniel Cretton, and he also wrote the script. And the script is a bit of a blunt instrument. It's one of those ones where it's all about getting the information across. It's not very like poetic or anything, but it does it very efficiently, and um, it's very successful at kind of portraying the just the sheer frustration of of coming up against an inherently kind of unbendable system. Um, the, what's really cool about it is the way that it, racism is um, presented because I don't think the N word is ever said by anyone in it. So all of it is all of the racism is just bubbling under the surface. Um, if you see what I mean, it's like in people's actions, like the fact that when he, when he, the, the lawyer first goes to the, uh, to the um, prison to speak to his client, it's like, He's told uh, he's got to he's got to have a strip search, and it's like I don't think I do actually. But he's too young to understand; like he really doesn't. And so he goes through this strip search, and it's obvious that it's got nothing to do with security, and it's just a power thing by the, like the white guard. It's just awful. Like, and it's all about the looks and little comments that people make, and it really puts you into that kind of that that uneasy feeling that people are looking at you differently, sort of thing. So it's quite clever that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was really good. And it's, it's yeah, so it's, it's definitely not, unlike Aaron Brockle, it's definitely not a feel-good movie, more of like a feel-ashamed movie. But, um, so not really one for a kid's birthday party, perhaps, but um, but very, very good. It's, it feels like kind of necessary viewing somehow. I think you get on better with that one, to be honest. And it's
0: fr- it's free on the Microsoft Store? It was,
1: store. yeah. I don't know whether it's still free, but it was free, uh, maybe for all of June, on the Microsoft Store which is really awkward to actually navigate to f- get to it, but um, yeah, if you can yeah, get hold of it, definitely worth the watch. Oh, that's cool. Yeah,
0: I'll shift tone a bit then, light things up a little bit, and I'll talk about Guesthouse Paradiso, which I watched. Um, oh, yeah. again, it's a film I've seen a few times. I'm a, a huge Rick Mail fan, and obviously yes miss him a lot so uh, and of course the thing is that is like really when it comes to films you you, you, there's not much of a body of work unless you're watching like the young ones or bottom you know so i was gravitating against this parody so even though my memories of it are like kind of mixed and i remember at the time watching so for those who don't know it's like it's basically bot the film of bottom effectively um and You've got obviously like um Adrian Emerson, Rick Mill, obviously Vincent Cassell playing a very f- a surprisingly foul character in it. Um it's just a bizarre bit of casting. Okay. Yeah. It's like it, it's um but the, When was the, it made? Uh, nineteen ninety nine.
1: Okay, so it's quite it's like it's after Drop Dead Fred then. <laughs> yes, it is, just, just there's no Phoebe Cates in sight, unfortunately. Um so I was <laughs> um yeah,
0: the first thing to say is, it was on Netflix and I um, put it on and thought, oh, it's obviously buffering. But no, it's got this weird, almost sub DVD quality to it um, that I, I just, I, I you'll know more about this than me. You, it's almost like you can see the interlacing.
1: Yeah, it's probably a, a VHS rip. Ah, right,
0: then. Um, it's awful quality. I don't know if the, it would be nice to, I would have pro- much more. Enjoyed it much more if it was in like a higher quality, but yeah. it was the only version I could see, so I so we chucked it on. And the the key things to take away is there are some really because obviously I've got such a history with the characters and the actors in it. Um, Simon Pegg is in it. I always forget he's in it, but it's very blunt and it's like a very physical comedy. But there are some really funny moments, and there are some full moments that are okay. But then the last twenty minutes of the film, it's just like um. Like a kind of a gross out fest, and it's just mm. not, it's not funny. Um, ah. so I I just think that it just goes to show that like when people make T V series very rarely, especially comedies, it's hard to stretch out something over like hello. The works in kind of it's punchy and it's all about the performances and the delivery. If when you're watching like a T V show. Where the camera's basically just on them and you're laughing mm. at them doing stuff when you've got this like spectacle and there's a lot more to worry about. Because the funniest episodes of Bottom are when it's just them in the flat talking to each other. Yes, like that's the genius yeah. comes from the chemistry. There was, a, it, there was
1: one episode of Bottom, I can't remember which one it was, but it is literally that the whole way through. And it's the one where uh R- Richie is just really bored and he just he's just like <laughs> Eddie's trying to watch the TV and he's just. Ma- He's just playing games with himself uh, <laughs> over the other side of the room, yeah, like, like picking up the, the phone. Front. And,
0: like, <laughs> that's the picking first ever episode. Think, Hello? <laughs> that's the first episode of it. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so uh, funny. Uh, it's really weird actually that because when you watch the later episodes, the, the flat has like changed around a little bit and they don't use the shots they did, they oh, kind right. of yeah. so it's almost like a pilot, an eared pilot. Um, but yeah, when you've got that in a film. And yeah. it's not just about them talking and their interaction with each other. And you've got all these like set pieces, and there's much more of a focus on like this comedic violence. Yeah. The funniest parts to me are still when when they just react into each other. Like there's a bit where yeah. one of the funniest bits in the film is when they're like packing because they realise they've poisoned everyone. They need to get out of this the guest house. And like um, Eddie just opens the door, and they're pa- and Richie is he's done something. He's basically dropped something in his trousers. He's trying to like shake it out, and obviously it's like this like high octane scene where they're just trying to get out as fast as possible before the police turn up. And he just says, "This is no time for dancing," and it's just the delivery. It's like such a basic joke, but the delivery and the you the fact you're watching a man dance and someone saying, "This isn't the time for this," that's the, that's the most amazing thing. But then when you've got people spewing yeah. and more visual jokes uh, and they go on and on, you think, "No, I, I actually much like this. I prefer this on a smaller scale." It's good to watch because it it is. I think it's the only thing that Adrian Edmondson has ever directed. And it's always good to see Rick Mill in whatever form he's in, but it's not, I can imagine if I showed that to say, if I had a kid and I showed them, they'd be like, it's okay. I don't
1: know. It's bad quality. <laughs> yeah, it's a VHS rip, son. Um, can so you, can you name the game that Rick Mail did a voice for? Hogs of War. I <laughs> knew you get it straight away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instantly, of course. <laughs> of course. play obscure playstation one turn-based game love I, it. Bought,
0: I bought that off ebay on the day that he died he died and oh, i was really? <laughs> watching someone put up a thing about hogs of war and i bought it fast i thought i'd love to have that michael i used to have it and i bought it again it's okay but it's just it's just his his delivery it's just just an amazing man much mystery yeah yeah um so yeah, it's 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 more like an artifact. It's a nice artifact to have, but yeah. it's not it's not it's not a particularly good film. So it hasn't held up too well. No, I didn't even. This is the thing. Even as a teenager, I remember watching it and thinking this isn't as funny as the show. Um, yeah. And then watching it now, when I've basically spent like a further fifteen or twenty years watching those episodes, like I probably watch all of the episodes of Bob. I'd say through at least once every two years, yeah. and. I'm so familiar with it, and like you know, it word for word. And like you see, the genius of it is you can watch one episode looking at one of them, and then watch the, the same episode looking at the other one, and it's just as funny just because of how they are, just because of how their reactions are. Yeah. Thing so, yes, um, it's not, not a particularly good film, but but one for the fans, maybe.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah, they it was a very special partnership, those two, it was very good. Um, yeah, yeah. but um. I wonder if that kind of comedy generally, that anarchic kind of comedy then became gross out comedy. Perhaps it evolved like into Like it's that.
0: focused on the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because anarchic comedy always had a gross element to it, I guess. But because you think about the young ones and stuff like that, it was pretty, and, and Bottom was, it was pretty disgusting. There was, there were gross out elements in it, but there was a kind of, there was a bit of satire in it as well, wasn't there? yeah like you and laughing it, yeah. at them and it was definitely. definitely satirizing kind of and it came out of like the thatcher era i suppose of like because thatcher was convinced that we lived in a classless society and it was showing that actually there's it there clearly is an underclass of people here <laughs> yeah so, so yes
0: have that you ever was, seen it by the way yes I've
1: right no i've never seen
0: it there's no real reason to watch it. No. If you're ever in the mood for it, just watch Bottom. You, you'll well, just watch yeah. it. And think
1: it's a slightly disappointing film, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I know it's not like a Hollywood movie or anything, but that. But anything where good TV shows, good small-scale TV shows, when they go on the big screen, I, there's something about. I don't know the way that s- cinema is shot and stuff. I just don't find it as funny as like the basic single-camera setup type style of the. Um, of, like the sitcom. See what I mean? It's it's a, it's a bizarre thing in ever because like with um
0: oh just using a quick example off the top of my head like with YouTubers with the Angry Video Game nude, and there's a couple, a couple of people I used to like but we don't watch anymore called the Game Chasers, and they make like you know decent-ish kind of you know fifteen twenty minute shows and then they say oh we're going to get money together for film and
1: you're like what it doesn't yeah it doesn't translate it yeah it's not necessary is it right um let's move on to the rock then finally uh this is not as good as i found it when i was 15 i gotta say (laughs) i mean i know that's going to come as a bit of a surprise (laughs) but what was really i was really entranced this time um by the rock um i was really entranced by the it was the is the the pace of the editing in the film i mean i'm not talking just in in terms of the action scenes but in between as well (laughs) like one cuz once i noticed how little time michael bay chose to stay on a single shot i actually felt a little bit queasy because it was al- it was almost a little bit too fast all the time of course he can't keep the camera still either cause, yeah you know, i just I remember there's it? just constant swooping oh. shots oh it's ridiculous in and like for no reason it doesn't need you don't need a swooping shot when two people are talking it just just detracts from what's going on in the frame but anyway yeah, the the lighting and the production design is just absolutely horrible as well. It's sort of somewhere between like Tony Scott and Joel Schumacher at his most camp sort of thing. There's a scene where Nick Cage you'll you remember this, I'm sure. I remember this when, one very well, actually. Yeah. Yes. There's a scene where Nick Cage is spewing in the bathroom. Um oh, yes.
0: William Forsworth uh, walks in.
1: Yeah. But um so he's spewing and there's this weird like in the window behind him, there's this weird color gyrating orange light and it's like the building's on fire, and I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was thinking, why is there like why would that be there? Why would or in there the bathroom. be? bathroom yeah, like why would there be this huge like like it looks like this fire outside is so bizarre, and like i mean tony scott was he was obviously a a bit of a stylist when it came to lighting and stuff, but essentially i mean yeah it was it was wasn't very natural lighting, but it could at least you could at least pinpoint a source if you see what I mean like. It just was weird. Anyway, the action scenes, yeah, totally unintelligible. Partly because of the editing, but also because Bay, he, he just tries to find the most awkward angle to shoot from for some reason. And another thing I noticed this time is it's, like, weirdly coy when it comes to, like, violence. Mm. But it's fine with, like, really, like, foul language. It's fine with the swearing. But, like, the violence is weirdly muted. I think, weirdly bloodless, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think if it was made today, it would probably be the other way around. I think they'd be a bit coy about the language, but the violence would be, well, at least the same. Um, also, I want to point out, I, I'm not sure that Ed Harris's plan makes any sense in this film (laughs) because he obviously his, he steals these chemical weapons to threaten San Francisco. And, um, Unless there's re, uh, remuneration for uh, these veterans or whatever, but anyway, so he's basically he's a proven patriot. This guy, who is and he, is well known to the to the security staff because they're calling him by like first names stuff. He is evidently reluctant to show force. So, he, like, even when Michael Bean confronts him, he tries to stop the violence. So, with all that in mind, why would he, of all people, chuck a load of chemical weapons at a civilian population? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, they don't even really try verbal negotiation. They come up with the most ridiculous plan to take this known felon, um, of course, played by Sean Connery, on this ridiculous mission into the place. Um, And, of course, the first thing that Sean Connery does is try to kill one of the FBI guys, then go on the run and cause absolute chaos through San Francisco that's the point at which they probably should have thought, I don't know, maybe this was such a pretty bad idea. Maybe we should try and talk to this guy. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's, um, but yeah, it doesn't, it just, the whole incursion idea is just rendered even more silly by that point. So you're basically, you're waiting for it for the moment. It becomes like a buddy movie with Cage and Connery. That's really what you're waiting for. And it takes about over an hour to get there. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah um,
0: i just i watched it relatively recently as well and and i just I was just out, the dialogue i was all the lines that are supposed to be cool you can you could almost they may as well after they say each line look at the camera and do like a little smoke with a tongue on their cheek, but it's so like clunkily written like the 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 way that like they try to out cool each other and you think, oh just shut up, guys, you're in your 50s. Sh- <laughs> yeah so i i was not i was not I'm not sold by, as a kid. I probably watched that film about 40 or 50 times with a plowman. Uh, yeah. But now I like, I wouldn't, I just think I'm not watching that again because I know it's like, more, rats. it would be like watching more. rats. the stuff that appealed to me at the time, just wouldn't appeal to me anymore.
1: Yeah. It really, it really has not aged well. Uh, but well, maybe it, maybe it's not a case for it aging. Well, maybe it just wasn't that good in the first place. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: We watched it as teenagers. What do we know?
1: Yeah. I, d- I remember thinking it like that, Chase sequence where they chase them through San Francisco was the coolest, like most exciting action scene when I was a kid. But my god, it's unintelligible now. You cannot, it's just a load of like, unrelated shots. Corners yeah, zoomed, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, um, yeah, so that was The Rock. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that was that, then. That was um, that. Probably won't
1: I... be watching that for another 20 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you watch it, it's come around again, and yep, it's absolutely brilliant this time. <laughs> um, I'll be two minutes, so I'm going to quickly get a top-up. Okay, doke. Um, Sorry, so... Is yep. it me? Sorry? Okay, yeah. so... Uh, uh, it's I'm just going to look at the ones i got left now. So, uh, I watched... Another one I watched was 21 Bridges, which you saw, and you oh, suggested. Yeah. I, I think, actually, the reason I forgot I watched it was because after you suggested it, um, I watched it literally, like, went at the living room, and then just turned it on and chucked it on and it was it was really good Rupert it it was like it feels like a really good it was like a really good kind of thriller like action thriller yeah that was like really snappy but also there was like a little bit of weight to it which was really nice yeah but there was a a lot of kind of like relatively unspoken unspoken uh things underneath the action that gave it a little bit of depth that I I really enjoyed yeah and 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 so the way that they work out the plot the plot like there's there was a point in it where they talk about how they know that the police weren't at that like restaurant or wherever it was because of the mm. way they knocked on the door because they didn't use like the ball of their fist they tapped like they were just coming in to do something really subtle things yeah uh, and, and and like things in the dialogue that i thought oh, this is really this is this this is a nice clever written film but doesn't get too bogged down in its own yeah. sort of pretensions it just it rolls yeah. it up in a action film
1: for all its silliness it has um what is it that I heard a phrase today? Um, I think that... Uh, Up Atom? <laughs> it was something that someone said. Uh, uh, there's a series on YouTube where James Cameron like, interviews like really famous directors. And someone used the, uh, uh, an Akira Kurosawa quote where he refers Hang on. to... The, what, how come I didn't hope... James Cameron interviewing other directors? Yeah, well, like, they're very brief, but it's like Kwemer del Toro, Steven Spielberg... I uh, can't remember who else oh, that uh, really. sounds crap.
0: I'm glad I didn't yeah. know about
1: that <laughs> they're really brief but they are interesting and one of them refers to this phrase from Kira Kurosawa called immaculate reality I think that's what he calls it that's but... in the theatre album <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's in reference to I think it's in reference to it doesn't matter if the film itself is true to life but it has to be true to itself so it has to be watertight in terms of its own logic and its own rules if you see what I mean Yes, Uh, and so it doesn't yeah it because that's what's frustrating when you're watching a film not when it's like you don't think to yourself oh that wouldn't happen in real life you're thinking that character wouldn't do that or that wouldn't happen in the world that's being presented here sort of thing it's breaking its own rules and i think what 20 bridges does really well is like it's ridiculous but in the context of itself it makes sense and everything makes sense in it like um like the fact that they are getting him that specific person uh, to be the detective on this case, because of the fact that he's got a reputation for sh- just shooting people down. So it's like, yeah. all right, let's get him on board because like the amount we're... of times, the amount of times yeah. in that
0: film that they say, he's like, what did you do then? And they're like, ah, oh, you know, eh? eh? a <laughs> a." like that's basically what most of the scenes are. And he's like, no, no, not a, a, in fact, Naughty. R-A-C. So,
1: <laughs> wow. <clears throat> but Chadwick Boseman is a good actor, and he can pull off uh, the unspoken stuff. He can, like... Because, basically, he's on his own, really, isn't he? Because everyone yeah. else around him is a bit of a tinker. So He's completely on his own. Like The amount of yeah. times
0: you think he's got some sort of ally, and then they're just a bit shifty, and you think... Yeah. At one point, I turned to Finn and said... Is everyone corrupt apart from Chadwick Boseman? <laughs> everyone. It is a. Uh, it was cool. Sorry, I interrupted you a few times then.
1: Uh no no it's 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 fine. Um, yeah and well Keith David he was alright wasn't he? But he's in it for like two seconds isn't
0: he? I saw him at the start of it, the very start when it shows Chadwick Boseman as like a young kid in a church at his father's thing. Yeah, and so that it, was and
1: part- the one where um my wife said, um oh is that the guy from EastEnders? <laughs> no, no, that's boy. another one, it's
0: another man. Um, but yeah, even then, I could just see Keith David, I could just see his, and it's blurred. And I said, Oh, please be Keith David, please. <laughs> and it was, and I was happy. So, yeah, you
1: just need Keith David just to rock up in a film, he doesn't have to do much. No, his voice is
0: so good, it's amazing, isn't it? Which we're going to talk about at the end of this for the next um, episode.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, very good film, enjoyed that a lot. And a
0: nice and again uh, touch of the mission impossible at the end where i'm not going to give away any plot spoilers but w- when he's having a conversation at the very end of the film and you you realize the predicament he's in and yes. you think how oh, was this going to pan out then and i was again it was it was really good i really liked it i don't want to spoil it yeah. cause obviously he's not 20 years old yet
1: no and it it had a kind of it did have a bit of a throwback feel to it in the style of it like the neon lighting and stuff it yeah. it felt like it didn't feel like a a TV movie. It felt like a, a movie movie and yet wasn't all about superheroes and explosions and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And it was tense. And
0: again, and, and I know
1: you, I think, I
0: think it's you that loves this is yeah. a film set of like a single night. Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah. It is you. Yeah. So that, that must've ticked that box as well for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Uh, and a hint of, I'm going to, this is going to be like a, a segue here. Uh, there was a, a hint of the warriors in that regard speaking of the warriors i watched 48 hours oh really that's walter hill isn't it again so yeah um i thought i'd seen this before but i haven't oh really that must be a nice treat for you then it's it's a it's a real who's who of 80s action when you think about it because it's got nick nick nolte eddie murphy brian james james ramar david patrick kelly sonny landham sonny landham and um, yeah it's produced by Joel Silver and of course Lawrence Gordon so it's and oh and it's co-written by Stephen E. D'Souza didn't realise amazing it is massively dated as well <laughs>
0: yeah, I gotta say that I remember watching I, the, my, I remember watching this the most recent I watched this was about it was when I first met Faye about 10 years ago 9 years ago not mm. 10 years ago and um, we were in the shared house I lived in at the time and I had a row of DVDs above my head and she said oh, let's put a film on and I was like oh wicked which one should we want And as I sat down on the wall, I knocked the shelf, and another uh, forty—sorry, forty hours—hit me on the head and landed open in my lap. (laughs) And I thought, well, the decision has been made for us by the gods. I'm afraid. So we watched it, and I and I and I I do like the film. I really like the film, and the sequel, another forty hours, is. I love Nick Nolte, and I love Eddie Murphy in the eighties. So, as much as I love the sequel, it's a slightly diluted, rehashed version of the first one. And the first one is really raw and, but. Some of the use of racial language in that film. Yes, it is.
1: Can you just call him by his first name, please? It's amazing, and and it is quite troubling, actually, genuinely, because it is in in the sequel. He
0: he doesn't call him that word. He calls him convict throughout the entire sequel because it's a fifteen, not an eighteen.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, Because the the racial language is almost entirely one way as well, which is yeah. really, it's always from Nolte. And it's like, is this going to be charming? But like, <laughs> yeah,
0: like Eddie Murphy gets
1: ones. one scene to eat, to beat on some rednecks, but I don't think it feels like enough when his partner is just casually calling him watermelon and things like that. It's like, really? Yeah. So it's ridiculously macho as well. And the policing in 48 Hours is yeah. staggering. Like the level of policing is hilariously... Bad, because right, Nolte's character, right, Nick Nolte, he seems seems like like
0: like the the only (laughs)
1: person. He is the only person in that city who care seems to care about the shooting of shooting dead of two cops. Um, he like the his boss doesn't seem to give it give a damn. It's like what? Surely this is like, don't they usually like swarm the place if cops have been killed and stuff? But yeah, so Nolte, yeah, and he never calls for backup. Or anything. So of course his backup is just a convict. Brilliant. And um and, and also Nick Naughty, he he specifically says, right, that the cops at the start, one of whom is in Beverly Hill's cop as well, actually. He's a horrible bad guy in Beverly Hill's cop, not Stephen Burkhoff. Um but yeah, Nick Naughty says at near the start, uh yeah, those cops died because they were sloppy, sort of thing. But he is a cop who's who's constantly shouting in the street kicking open doors and and when he's driving every time he drives in this film he wheel spins he wheel spins and skids around the corner twatting the pavement on the way around it's amazing it's so amazing the fact that he's such a is he's, he's such a bad cop is amazing um you've, you've when you said then you reminded me I, i'm wondering it's
0: not andrew divoff is it or is he in the sequel
1: I don't think Andrew Divoff
0: is in it. I'm trying to think who that
1: cop is at the start. Now um, he is. Oh, I can. He's in a few things. He's he was the really menacing, horrible guy in Beverly Hills Cop who kills um, his friend near the start. Um, he's in oh, a few. Ed,
0: things. Ed, Ed Ross and Andrew Divoff.
1: Yeah,
0: that's what I'm thinking of.
1: Right. Yeah, he's. Um, yeah, he's really menacing. But he's really menacing in Beverly Hills Cop. I remember being terrified of him and then discovering later that Beverly Hills Cop was originally written as a serious, like, cop drama. And that's why you've got these weird, like, tonally out of place moments when really harsh stuff happens. I, I'm not,
0: I can't rest until I know who that man is, unfortunately, Rupert.
1: Yeah, let's, um,
0: you need to find out. I can't, I can't move on.
1: Yeah, let's, um, let's have a look then. Good old Google. Right, Where was it? Um, James Good Russo old is old the old one old. who gets killed. Um, Paul, I don't remember Paul Reiser being in um, Beverly Hills Cop. Is he in Beverly Hills Cop? I can't remember. I don't remember being in there. Uh, Steven Burkhoff. Mm. No, I can't see his name in there. Anyway, well, oh, just, okay. not the best radio, is it? So. <laughs> <laughs> look looking up a bit part yeah um, i but I will find out who it is because I need to know um
0: so yeah so yeah, another so forty hours it's is it is it a good is it a
1: good film like as in i know it's, it's obviously... got amazing dangerous. reviews at the time, which I really? really surprised me because you look at some of the classic kind of action movies from the eighties and a lot of them were slaughtered at the time, you look at the Metacritic score for like Predator and you know it's like 36 or something it's like it got annihilated and then you get something like 48 hours which is quite harsh and quite unpleasant in many ways and yet absolutely loved it the critics loved it they thought it was really fresh and stuff so i don't think it it don't think it's really aged well i think the problem is is that it's not quite it's not really funny enough um to stand the test of time in a way that, say, Beverly Hills Cop has got, because that's genuinely still quite funny. Uh, so it hasn't got the humour, and the humour is almost entirely based around their banter, and at least fifty percent of their banter is racially charged, and it, that's the part which really hasn't aged well. And of course, the fact that the, the way that women are treated in the film is astonishing. <laughs>
0: when you were watching that film, uh, every time Nick Nolte opened his mouth, uh, as you sat there with your like Asian wife, did you whistle nonchalantly at any dialogue? Or... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it's pretty it's pretty rough uh i mean the thing is nick nolte he was he's always had this kind of gruffness about him he's, i don't think i've ever seen a film where he's just like a nice avuncular man because oh, even on. in like cape fear he's got that growling voice and and yeah and then he turns into a bit of a monster as well so yeah I, I, I
0: suppose in, in Fourteen Hours, um, there's two sequences that spring to mind. One is, is it the one we're at the start, is it that one on the sequel where he's in bed with a woman?
1: Yes. And, he and in,
0: yeah, he gets in the bed and he puts a fag in his mouth and she starts talking to him and he's like
1: He is brutal. Enough.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he is not a gentleman. And also I think it's 14 hours as well where and it always makes me laugh. It's such a subtle thing where he goes back to like his desk and he just opens his desk and like a bottle of like whiskey rolls down and then and then a load of bullets and it, but just loose bullets and he just picks up like a handful and just puts <laughs> them in like his pocket loose. It just seems really <laughs> unprofessional and really impractical.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's where the whole cause we've watched a lot of like trashy action films where the cops are just bad at their job. And yeah, so, it is. Yeah. It is
0: astonishing how bad they it is are. It's a
1: trope. Um, yeah. So that was that. Um, do you want to move on to a, another one? Yeah. I've yeah. Got three more.
0: Okay. Um, let me just. I'll describe my next one here, uh, which is going to be Killer Elite. Oh, so yeah. Killer Elite, obviously, Jason Statham. uh what this film partly in Cardiff. Well, this is the thing, right? Uh, it's released in 2011, and it was just when I. It was just after I moved to Cardiff. Um, and they said Spill and Fartley in Cardiff, and I remember them saying that like Robert De Niro was on. It was on the street where the Promised Lands used to be. Who knew where the Central Bar the spoons is? Mm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It was filmed in Cardiff, and I watched it at the time. I don't can't remember how or where, but I remember watching it. And I d- I don't know. It doesn't even make sense now. But I remember thinking, oh, this is filmed in Cardiff, so it's got to be good. Like, it, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to at least get something like recognizing landmarks and stuff. Mm. And I think what happened at the time was like, it got pretty bad reviews and I watched mm. it and I was so busy trying to spot Cardiffian landmarks that I don't think I paid any attention to the film. And I just have this. It's one of those films that totally slips under the radar, isn't it? Like it clearly who cares? Oh, yeah. And, and I thought. I remember just thinking I really didn't like that, but I was in bed the other day, paid clocked out. And I thought I just fancy out on action film and killer elite came up on uh, Amazon prime. And I thought, well, it's got Robert De Niro and Jason Statham who I fancy in it. So how bad can this be really? So I put it on. And I was actually surprised because it is like a pretty decent film. Like mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of the whole plot doesn't make sense uh, where he, Obviously, Rob niro has been captured, and Jason Statham is his kind of protege. And Jason Statham is shown time and time again in that film, and it's filmed filmed in the 80s. Obviously, you've got Dominic Purcell actually doing more than one facial expression, and not just Whoa. looking out of blinds for a change. Um, actually, like quite a they call him the Welshman, but he's clearly got an Australian accent, and he's just he tries to like infiltrate the SAS and says, "I'm the Welshman," and they're like, "You're, you're not. You are not from Goch. I tell you that for free, Mr. Purcell. So he's got a ridiculous, like, slick back hair and a walrus moustache, kid. And then, so Jason Statham is there to to get Robert De Niro out of this sort of like, um, whatever it is, like, a, it's in like Iran or something, some like you know, some real desert sort of third world place, and he's been captured by the sheik, and he has to assassinate these three targets, or they'll just shoot Robert De Niro. Yeah. So. All throughout the film, time and time again, Jason Statham is shown as this really kind of calculated, very capable man who's who like, you know, is really good at getting out of these situations. And instead of just thinking, oh, do you know what, with Dominic Purcell and my lip team, I'll just assault that compound and just rescue him. Instead, he goes through these assassinations in these like ridiculous ways. And it is nice because it, Jason Statham is doing what Jason Statham does. Clive Owen is, I always find him like quite a compelling screen presence. He always seems quite full on. Yeah, And he, he is keen in it. And Robert De Niro like plays, it's probably the last film I saw Robert De Niro in where he actually acted. It didn't just turn up <laughs> and just for the sandwiches. And um, yeah, Dominic Purcell is fresh in my mind. It was nice to see him because obviously we saw him in that Yui uh, e. Ball film. Oh, what was it called? Uh, President Down. Co-Black President Down. So, I, because yeah, I had such bad. low expectations for it, that was bad. Because I had such low expectations. When I watched it, I thought, oh, this is actually like, you know, I would assume this would, would be, you know, like a solid 7 out of 10. It's not a bad film. It's probably just because of the caliber of actors isn't it, like Robert De Niro. People didn't get what they wanted. But if you watch it now, it hasn't aged particularly badly. You know, it's, it's right. fine. It's just a fine action film. So I was quite surprised by that. And it is one I probably like in five or six years, if I was a bit hungover and I thought, I'll check that on. I'll watch that again. So yeah, it's, it's fine. It's not anywhere near as I still, I still, after 10 years of living in Cardiff, I still only spotted like one place I knew.
1: Yeah. Apparently it was, it was yeah. Around what promised land and Buffalo bar and stuff. Neither of which exist anymore. I think. No, no, they don't. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know whether it was killer elite or not. There was, there was, was it killer elite? There's one film, Jason Sathan film, which really heavily referenced, um, uh, a really early Stanley Kubrick film. Um, oh. cool. Is there a bit where they end up in a mannequin factory at all? You. Uh, uh,
0: yes, yes, it is.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think it must be that then. Cause there's, uh, in, uh, is it killer's kiss? really early Kubrick film. 1957? Um, 53, I think. 53! Yeah. Um, in that, they... Because um, Kubrick um, was filming illegally, uh, he, he did a lot of the... Sh- like... Shot a lot of the action on rooftops, so the police couldn't get him. But so there's a bit where like one of the characters like run, is being chased across rooftops and ends up in a mannequin factory. And I remember watching Killer Elite and thinking, "This is just directly referencing that." In, a, in such a weird reference to have in in that film, because it's like, who's really going to know it's that unless they're a complete Kubrick nerd like me? But I thought that was quite nice.
0: Your glasses were firmly up your nose when you oh, watched that, that. So sequence.
1: far up my nose, it was one of the they few times I've spoken in the fire cinema. Fire. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, I had to I had to tell Dave. I think he was sitting next to me. Um, yes, so uh, let's let's move on to Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I think uh, you've just probably now. seen the first Fallen. Uh, Jurassic, oh, right. first I was going to say, Fallen is this the first? one? This, this is the second one, is it? This is the second one, and I hated, loathed the first Jurassic World. Uh, I I didn't ever exactly have high hopes for this one, um, but it is. It was directed by what's his name, J. A. Bay Bayonia, uh the uh, I guess I want to say Mexican director. That's my phone. Uh, been, silent. Um yeah, so and who did the impossible, which was the
0: um
1: Oh, that H- film is me- Naomi Watts and impressive action in it. Anyway, it's bad. It's a bad movie, but it's oh. slightly less offensively bad than the first one. At least in this one, there's slightly less of a sense of it being like, actively against its female protagonist this time around. But Chris Pratt's character is still completely and utterly charmless. He just comes across as dismissive and rude most of the time. I don't get what his appeal is at all. But the real enemy of this one, we talked about that immaculate reality before. The real enemy of this film is his plot logic. Um, oh. That includes character motivation as well. <laughs> Right, so basically the the setup is, is that there's a volcano going to go off on the island where all the dinosaurs are and there's this big kind of like public uprising to say you've got to save them, we can't just let them die sort of thing. Um, now, d- Bryce Dallas Howard's character from the first one, I can understand that she might not want the dinosaurs to be killed, right? But why, I don't know why she would be actively interested in going back to that place where she'd been chased by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, I could, I get that she'd be supportive of them, but why would she choose to go back there? Um, and you know, like, I, and it made me think of Aliens, the James Cameron film, and the way they deal with that problem with, and I worked it out, it's like three very short scenes in Aliens, how they, pr- they solve it. Uh, like Ripley says, going back to that place is a bad idea. Uh, that's one scene. She then refuses to go. That's another scene. Then there's a third scene where she has a nightmare and reluctantly agrees, uh, but with certain terms attached. And that's like 10 minutes of screen time. It's all you need to make it logical that someone's going to go back anyway. But yeah, and there's and later on, there's a scene with um, in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom where this little girl who has clearly proven to be very smart and resourceful. She's kind of the newt character in this where she's uh where she's like hiding around the place and un- and the dinosaurs can't get to her but then like when this like real like this genetic mut- genetically mutated super dinosaur is uh, escapes and is stalking her she escapes from it and then goes straight to bed she goes to bed she goes into her bedroom uh just you know it completely open and go gets under the covers and i get what I get what they're trying to do is it's like a primal fear thing. And it's she's the one place you feel safe, but that's not how she's been presented as a person. She's, she's not being presented as just babyish. She's been presented as very smart and resourceful. So why would she go to bed? And the answer is because they want to have a cool shot of a dinosaur claw reaching over a bed towards a little girl. And that's it. And I hate it when movies force cool shots, um, by through a complete lack of plot logic, it doesn't earn that that right to have that. Anyway, so um yeah, so it's just a load of set pieces really, uh, strung together with a terrible script. I quite like Toby Jones is in it, and he's dressed up like Donald Trump with a set of fake teeth. So that was good.
0: <laughs> that, was, that was it. Two hundred million dollars well spent. <laughs> um, I, I remember watching the. Well, actually, this is the thing. I don't the first one. I remember watching it and just. Being bored, I remember really being bored, and, yeah. I d- and the whole—I think—the whole thing about, like, you, know, you were talking about um, the way they treat women and, and stuff. I—I mm-hmm. I think that generally completely passed me by because of my overriding boredom. I think I was paying so little attention to it. I yeah. just oh, didn't really
1: care. It is—it's nasty. There was a great article written by the now shamed Devon Perachi of *Birth Movies* Death, where he talks about the specific scene where a one woman is tortured to death really by the dinosaurs it's really protracted and it was really interesting and very wise it, to explain why it is that it feels so uncomfortable in, in that scene and it, he talks about like film having a language that it, on an almost unconscious level we we react um we react in certain ways depending on whether the person deserved it or not this is why like we're okay with watching the evil guy get torn apart but in Jurassic World, he wasn't torn apart. It was um, Vincent D'Onofrio, and he gets killed off screen. And yet this woman, whose only crime has been not liking children, um, she is picked up, torn apart, uh, ripped to pieces, and then swallowed by a dinosaur. And it's like, it's weird. And it, it, the, pro- the problem is it does Yeah, doesn't... but it probably was a cool shot, Rupert. Yes, it was a cool shot as he plummeted into his mouth. I think I was having a think about Jurassic Park and its sequels and the reason why jurassic park is the only good jurassic park film and i think it's the problem is it comes down to this is that all the jurassic park sequels including lost world they all have bad guys in them and this is when you think about what jurassic park it didn't have any bad guys really and it had
0: misguided people in it
1: yeah exactly so there are no actively bad guys in the film i mean Dennis Nedry is as close as you get to a bad guy, I suppose, but he's depicted more as thoughtless and stupid rather than evil. And that's why he's killed halfway through because he's too stupid to, you know, realize what's going on. He's almost like a MacGuffin really, isn't he? So, and that means that the, the action, what, what, what happens in Jurassic Park is dovetailing with its central theme. And that is of humans overreaching their grasp um, of science, and so they get punished for that. But they're not doing it out with evil intent. You know, like, um, what's his name? John Hammond isn't doing it with evil intent. He wants to bring joy to the world. But he does not. Yeah. But once they started introducing bad guys, the kind of, with the more bad guys you introduce, the it has a direct effect on the sense of wonder that the dinosaurs once had. It becomes a completely different, kind of dynamic.
0: John Hammond is so focused on bringing joy to the world that he even forgets to visit his dentist, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> so hard. Uh, He's such an old man. <laughs> he was at least 40 in that.
0: He
1: was, wasn't he? Um. Yeah, so it's crap, really. I think of... <laughs> <laughs> you You get paid
0: £400 per review on this channel, Rupert, and I want more <laughs> than it's crap, I'm afraid. Um, I think that my, I have a certain I think an aspect of my personality that I think I, I have that a lot of, I get the sense that a lot of people don't, is that I don't really when I watch a film I don't care what other people think about it like I don't have, like Steph in the 80s I don't hold anything dear <laughs> so yeah. when it comes to things that um, like people talk about Indiana Jones or the Goonies or like even the films I love if people don't like them I just think fair enough I don't really get defensive because I think it's completely subjective but with Jurassic Park. I I remember the first film I watched again again. I think about two years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: And and it is still impressive. Like you know, the 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 visuals it is impressive. But the yeah. truth is that like Laura Dern and Sam Neill and uh, and um, Richard Anandra and Jeff Goldblum are all very good actors. Yes. And and it's like if even if you take the, the tension in the film, it's still good. But there's a lot of sequences in that film. Yeah where they're just looking at dinosaurs. And you, you're like, now you watch it now, and you're like, okay, I know you just love the majesty of it, but it's like, when, you, when you're not so completely soaked up in the special effects, there are a few moments where you think, okie dokie, we can move on now. But it's still, it's still good. It's still a, a good film. It's still very I,
1: impressive. Yeah, and,
0: and, and the yeah. sequels, like I, I don't remember any of them. Like, I've, I know for a fact I've seen them all, but I remember nothing about them, and no one talks about them. And Do you remember so what,
1: William H. Macy? being married to tia carrera she wouldn't fancy <laughs> him was it tia carrera i'm not even sure it was it wasn't Tia what, Carrera. You, was you know tia carrera she, she's uh, she was Nicolas
0: cage's wife in family man 2000
1: <laughs> obviously that it was, was i'm pretty sure it wasn't tia carrera, times anyway.
0: because i fancied it. i think it is tia carrera i want it to be a tia carrera
1: no, it's someone young uh Tier Leone, sorry, yeah. That yeah, that's it.
0: sorry, that's what I'm thinking of. Tia Leone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I sorry,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. that's the I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, um, so um yeah, that was bad. It's just they're just bad. I mean, even the Lost World that that's Spielberg and it was just not
0: these films though, do they get well received?
1: Not particularly. <laughs> to be honest. I don't think any of them have. I think the first one was well received and then they've all been pretty pretty dismissed since then really
0: um, I, funnily enough I, it's weird you should mention specifically Jurassic Park The Fallen Kingdom because I was having a conversation with my parents earlier in the week talking about the first film I remember seeing at the cinema which was Jurassic Park mm. and my dad said that's not true because the first film you ever saw was Rocky 5 and I thought oh my god what a disappointing first film I don't remember it I don't remember ever having seen it.
1: It's not even Rocky 4
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it's not even anything so yeah um, what was the first one you saw at the cinema?
1: I, the first one I probably remember seeing was Who Framed Roger Rabbit but terrifying, with, terrifying absolutely terrifying but I have very very vague memories of watching um, Black Cauldron which was a really dark Disney film from the mid 80s so I must have watched that when I was a toddler really must but have been. yeah God, yeah, you must. Have I've tried that. watching that again since, and it doesn't really bring back memories. <laughs> I just thought this is really heavy and dark for a children's film. But I think that was during the Disney slump. The theme, theme of today's episode. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Disney had a massive slump, didn't they? Prior to like Aladdin, The Lion King, and stuff, the resurgence. So I guess it was during that period.
0: Well, this is your talk about uh, Jurassic Park is a really nice segue, actually, into the film I want to talk about, which is Mary. With <laughs> Emily Mortimer and Gary Oldman, right? So this is
1: interesting because... Oh, I've seen this. You've seen it, have you? Yeah, why have I seen this? I don't know why you would have seen did it. I, do a, I, I might have got a review. had to do it for a review, maybe. Hang on, you keep, you keep talking and I'll find out if I did a review of this. <laughs> <laughs> Okie okay,
0: Um So I was... Uh, we watched a film, which we'll talk about soon, called Virtual Combat, which I won't mention now, but we watched Virtual Combat last Thursday. Uh, Rupert and I and then after I as I was watching the film as I went out to yes pour myself a drink I popped my head in the bedroom and Faye was watching this film and I just popped my head in and I saw like Gary Oldman Emily Mortimer they were on a boat and they were arguing and I came back in and then because she paused it to have a conversation with their mum when our film finished she was still on like 20 or 30 minutes into hers so I thought oh this is perfect two films one night boom count me in so I watched this film uh mary i didn't know what it was called till afterwards and i thought this is a film where emily mortimer and gary oldman are putting on really really unconvincing american accents and it's on a boat have you found your review
1: yet? yes i have found my review and i have definitely seen it what score did your review get it i did not give it a score because we weren't doing that but I did not give it a favorable review. It's what I found was I was watching it. This was my,
0: this is the main takeaway. And this, I could literally stop talking after I say this, I was watching it and I was thinking, this is a haunted ship film. Yeah. With Gary Oldman and Emily Mortimer. And like, you know, like kind of like Cape fear on a boat, basically. And you know, like the the ship is turned against them. Is it haunted? Is it not? Whatever. And, I thought, well, this obviously, this film is obviously from 2002 or three or something. Yeah. And then when I went on IMDb, I thought, 2019? Why? Why is Gary Oldman in a completely nonsense throwaway haunted ship film in 2019? After he's won an Oscar for Churchill, after he's done that, like all these amazing films. And I thought, why is uh-huh. this? So bad. Like he is known for like getting lost in characters and doing these amazing portrayals of, of people from different even ethnicities, backgrounds, accents. And it was just like it was like no one cared in the film. And it was preposterous that it was made. And I don't know why.
1: I kept it, on it was, I was, was lying in bed me. and
0: even, even as I was drifting off to sleep, I would like Mutter 2019 so <laughs> 90 it's a... it was the there? there's a
1: bit of the start though where there's a monster on board as well or something jumps out at the start and you're thinking i thought it was going to be a like, like a, a monster drill. yeah like but then it turns into like like a a kind of psychological drama like dead calm but then it also turns into like a j horror type thing with a yeah. woman with like lank hair and it's like what what is it, happening?
0: It's just trying is, to right, mix up
1: all these different elements, which just don't work. The first at all.
0: half of the film is Emily Mortimer saying to Gary Oldman in a bad accent, "There's something on the boat. It's haunted." And him saying, "No, no." And yeah. then the latter half of the film is Gary Oldman saying, "Right, okay. There's something on the boat. It's haunted." And that's it. That's the film. And it ends on a ridiculous, like jump scare cliffhanger thing, as if it's going to be explored further. What? Yeah. It's honestly I think I think I know that one of the things Chris often says is um however about a film is he's like, Oh yeah, but I couldn't have made that, we couldn't have made that film. And I think the answer here is well, I would if I was offered that script, Lisa we'll pay you money to make this, I'd say, <laughs> Why is anyone involved? What yeah
1: what is happening? Why why is this happening? It's bizarre. I, I, sometimes I wonder when it comes to these things whether what's happened is that the director or someone involved personally knows one of the famous actors in it, right? So say they know Gary Oldman. And then they can go to like um I don't know, Emily Mortimer or something and say, well, we can't get Emily Blunt, so let's get Emily Mortimer. <laughs> That's and um then we can say well we got we Gary, Oldman. Gary Oldman. So what so you get, co- we'll get Gary boozy We'll get Gary. Yes. <laughs> um I yeah well anyway my review is pretty scathing really it just says it's a bit of a muddled mess
0: and actually do you want to say what where you can see that review if people do want to check out your written review but which will be more i
1: can't remember where i put it where was that this must have been on um nerdly yeah nerdly.co.uk nerdly
0: mary rupert and you'll find it
1: yeah Uh, but yeah it's just
0: it's it's very rare that i will watch a film and i'm so busy thinking about the reasons why it could possibly have been made that i don't actually see what happens yeah I, i couldn't even now i just think it's such a bizarre career move and it's such a nonsense throwaway
1: film. I mentioned in my review that there is a bit they, like they, at the end, there's obviously like a horror type stinger moment. And um, I've, I've mentioned in my review that they actually retroactively alter footage that we've already seen,
0: Oh my um, God.
1: which, uh, which is bad news. That's really, that is cheating. You can't do that. Yeah. That's really bad. But I don't remember the specific moment, obviously, because it's, non spoilerish but
0: oh yeah, yeah. it's
1: just it's, it was bizarre. So don't watch that. Okay. Well, I already have said. So. <laughs> okay,
0: I won't watch that again. <laughs> I
1: won't watch it again. If, if there um, could be
0: a horror, that could be an entire like a like series of horror films. Like don't watch that. Like a ring <laughs> thing, and then the sequel. Don't watch that again. And then the third <laughs> one. Are oh, you not watching that again? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, boots, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> And then the sequel to the reboot. Are you going to watch that too? Oh my god! Write this down. <laughs> We're, gonna sit, come of it.
1: We're not watching that again. <laughs> what exclamation mark? We're not watching that again. <laughs> oh god! Dante's Peak. Finally. And <laughs> no. it's
0: not. It's not about the hairline of the protagonist of the Devil May Cry games. I want to
1: point out. <laughs> Uh this is the one with Piers Brosnan and Linda Hamilton, not the one with Tommy Lee Jones. That was Volcano. Uh and not uh Joe versus the Volcano with Tom Hanks. No. This one I think this is a bigger hit than Volcano was, but because it was released two months earlier, I think. Um it's directed by Roger Donaldson, who you may not have heard of, but oh. <laughs> he is a talented hack who who's worked, he's done some good stuff with Kevin Costney, did no way out. And Thirteen Days. That was Days. a good film. Yeah, Thirteen Days He did as well, but the Cuban Missile Crisis, that was good. Um, but I mean he's not a particularly interesting director, he just makes solid movies. But anyway, you can kind of imagine that Kevin Costner just wasn't available for this film or something, because he it's his wheelhouse. So yeah, um uh Pierce Brosnan plays a volcanologist, he comes to this small town where Linda Hamilton is the mayor, but she's all, she also works in a coffee shop, it's a bit weird don't really understand that I, <laughs> what? I don't know i don't get i don't get why she's the mayor like, <laughs> she didn't she really works it job. just gives her access to meetings i think what? um anyway so it's the usual thing like he comes it comes along like there's a volcano called dante's peak of the, over the town pierce Brosnan keeps saying oh i get the feeling it's going to blow sort of thing because in the in the um is he prologue? saying
0: that as a of line to linda hamilton as he's thrusting <laughs> in the coffee shop he
1: uh he, he you see in the prologue basically his wife died in a in like when they're trying to escape a volcano so he goes to this place and he's convinced it's gonna blow and it's i don't know it's weirdly like anti-science in a way because in that way because basically his team and his boss are saying look None of the instruments are suggesting that this thing's going to blow, so let's not panic about it. But Pearson's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I get a feeling, and all this kind of stuff. Which is a bit so, cheeky. So,
0: yeah, it's cheat Again, it's cheating, isn't it? So it's basically yeah. like pulling on emotions as opposed to science.
1: Yeah, and because, uh, of course, volcanology isn't an exact science. I mean, you can't, you're never going to be sure. But that doesn't make science itself unreliable, so it seems reasonable that they would go with the science, but anyway... Anyway, so there's um, there's nothing really. It's, it's a disaster movie, basically. And I like, I think Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton have, have got quite a, a nice chemistry, actually. I like the fact that they're both in their early 40s. So that's cool. It's quite it, unusual.
0: Is it, Linda Hamilton is she a good, a good actor? I yeah, genuinely ask that because I've never really seen her. She's quite charmingly
1: her, especially... goofy in it, which is quite nice. I think that maybe that's why they made her the mayor, because they didn't want her to be a kind of, Goofy housewife, she is in a position of power, but at the same time, she's quite down to earth and human. What and Pierce Brosnan's quite sure. Pierce Brosnan, the second he gets there, he is instantly like a father figure to her kids as well, by the way. The second he steps foot in there, he's, he's playing games with them, he's like telling them off and stuff. It's like she's fine with that. Yeah. Um, he's a
0: bad husband, he's, he's <laughs> having an affair behind her back. Yeah. Like he steps off the train and they
1: run up to him and they're daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so when it explodes, which of course it does, it's actually quite impressive. Like in terms of and uh, this is like what ninety-seven. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, 97.
1: and
0: it does. When you see I haven't seen this. so is a disaster film. Does the volcano like go off early, so the whole film
1: is them surviving
0: it, or does it
1: lead up to it? It leads up to it. So it's very much like last half hour of the film is pretty much things blowing up and things falling from the sky, and it is quite well done actually. Like they didn't try and use a bunch of early CGI. That's the key thing, okay. really. So we've all seen <laughs> when the um, when the town, like they must have built a town or something, because when it starts coming down, it just smashes up the whole place. And it's clearly they 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 use clever model work um, and big scale special effects, basically. And they might use some CG on this on the smoke effects, but other than that, it's. It's pretty good it ends weirdly suddenly that's what i noticed really? about them yeah it's really odd because it's like it just feels like it's really picking up and like it's very much like just them the family unit who've managed to get to a certain distance and then suddenly and like they found somewhere to hide and then there's like one like mini action scene which is quite tense and then suddenly it's like oh everything's over everything's fine it's weird it's really it's really odd it's almost like it was missing just a couple of scenes towards the end otherwise it would have been pretty decent really uh and it is it's fine it's fine it's better than volcano i remember volcano being really tedious because that was that was and that was just like slow moving lava it was like the blob or something with steve mcqueen so Oh, okay. That, see, I could be enticed to watching that, just
0: if only to broaden my horizons in terms of Linda, Linda Hamilton's back cat look.
1: She's yeah, she's don't... funny. She's quite charming, and she, yeah, and she's Cause... and she's kind of. I don't. They're kind of believable that they would be attracted to each other.
0: I think the only other films I've seen her in are retroactive with James Belushi, which I solely remember because there's a scene where James Belushi walks into like a like a. Kind of diner in the middle of nowhere, and the camera cuts between him shooting a, a six shot pistol and someone behind the counter, and he fires it as he's walking forward 28 times without reloading. <laughs> 28 <laughs> times, and um, and another film she was in, I can't remember the title of, I think. Uh, it's called like Double Lives or something, and it's her playing herself and her twin sister. I think Sam Elliott might be in it, but that's like an 80s kind of thriller. So yeah, I should watch. I should watch more Linda Hamilton films. Really,
1: you, you must have seen Children of the Corn, though, surely.
0: She and that. Oh, God, I watched Children of the Corn 10 a few years ago. That's the last film we watched in the old flat face. Let's watch Children of the Corn 10. Bloody hell. Oh, what a way to say goodbye. Honestly, I'm holding in my hand a PlayStation 2 controller, as I say this. And I reckon that was probably worth more on eBay than the entire budget of Children of the Corn 10. (laughs) Baffling. So, are you are you going to
1: rewatch Volcano to kind
0: of get a taster for those? People? I
1: don't know about that. Maybe I do like a disaster movie. I like a and yeah, I like a nineties action movie. Hmm. So, I just there is a certain, well. them, yeah. a certain
0: pull to them. What's that? There is a certain pull to nineties action films. Disaster movies aren't really my forte, um, but no, there are I, very I few see. good ones. One of the things you may, I do want to say before we move on is Roger Donaldson also directed Cocktail, and. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember the one scene in that film that actually made me like jerk up in my chair was when
1: like Brian idea.
0: Brown Brian Brown, talks to him and he's like, go on, go and get a drink. And then he goes, and then he comes back five minutes later and he smashed a brandy bottle and slashed his throat with a decanter. And I thought, bloody, and he is dead.
1: It's yeah, not like, he, no wasn't like coming he walks back in and one. he's
0: gurgling and he's like, oh, I've made a mistake. Where He is dead. And I thought, <laughs> you were keen. You were keen, Brian.
1: Uh, that's, uh, that's a weird film, that. <laughs> Um was that weirdly recently though. Was it good? Uh no, it's it's I found it a little bit it's a little bit dull, really. I don't know. Is, it's is strange it it.
0: FX Murder by Illusion or
1: for <laughs> nothing's as good as FX Murder by Illusion, clearly. What is the <laughs> sequel called? FX2. It must have had a subtitle.
0: Oh for God's sake, okay. Let me type in Brian Brown. Okay. Uh Brian Brown, 72, Still Alive, Good, I Never Want That Man to Die, uh, Filmography, 88, what was it? FX. Oh, right, okay. So, FX, also known as or subtitled Murder by Illusion, uh, hmm. and then, let me go down this, oh, it's remake. Oh, no, it's a remake of it. FX to The Deadly Art of Illusion.
1: Jesus. I've never seen those films. That's basically the same title, then, isn't it? Murder by illusion and the deadly art of illusion.
0: That's directed by Richard Franklin. Uh, I don't know if that rings a bell with you.
1: That does ring a bell. That Wasn't Richard Franklin the one who directed The Money Pit? And we discussed him last week.
0: He directed Psycho 2. He directed... I can't see The Money Pit on here. If if he did direct it, it's not on here anyway. Although he did I, I'm direct... thinking of Richard Benjamin. He did direct The Lost World. TV series, though, not what you're thinking of. <laughs> um, yeah, I need yeah. to watch that. so So i've only got one more film on my list well the only one i've got is virtual combat so do you want to do that and then we'll we'll
1: knock we'll knock pocahontas on the head so to speak (laughs) no
0: no knock it on the head you can cover pocahontas
1: i read about this and apparently they thought disney thought that pocahontas was going to be the bigger hit than lion king so they threw all their talent at pocahontas right and it turned out not to be as big a hit did it um but I think it's weird looking anyway. I don't think it's that. I mean, she's nicely animated. Um, but it, it, it looks really strange. Like the backgrounds have this weird... like They look like they're out of an 80s fantasy animation, like Fire and Ice or something. They're this kind of slightly washed out, fantastical, psychedelic look. They basically look like Roger Dean paintings. Um, <laughs> so fantastic. So, which should be really cool. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think it really worked. But... Um, I don't think they'd make this film today. I mean, the, <laughs> Poca- the Pocahontas story is always a really, really dubious one anyway. Because
0: oh, okay. Is I it based mean, on some sort of fact, then?
1: Well, supposedly. I mean, the idea, is, the romanticised idea is that she was like a Native American princess who fell in love with an Englishman and came back to um, England and... You know, because because of the power of love. But in reality, it was quite possible that um, she was bullied into it or kidnapped. She was almost certainly a child, so mm. possibly 14, yeah. maybe even 12. Um, and, and the reality is she came back to England and then died soon afterwards anyway. So, yeah. Oh. Um, and, like, yeah, so... The, the idea behind the story, like the Disney version is fine, like the idea that basically like the English come along and they they fight the Native Americans and they're, you know, back and forth. And then they realize in the end that, you know, hatred is not going to help and they've got to learn to get along, etc. cetera.
0: Right.
1: Of course, this doesn't mention the fact that the indigenous population of North America were actually the victims of a systemic genocide over generations. By the yeah. Europeans god don't mention that um and it, it, I think j- that's the real problem is that the gap between the film and the brutal reality is just too massive, and it just feels uncomfortable watching it
0: well, like did, that it's just kind of glossing over these atrocities yeah. it's like oh, it's,
1: it's all fine, it was all fine in the end well i apparently the like this guy called governor ratcliffe who is who's p- depicted in the disney version's being he's kind of like the evil money grabbing Englishman uh. And but apparently in real life, what happened was they the natives invited Ratcliffe and a load of his men um, for like a meal or whatever. And then they basically uh, stitched them up. They they tied up Ratcliffe. They skinned him alive. They Hmm. peeled off his skin um, and they peeled his face off last so that he could watch the whole thing as it happened to him. And then they burned him. So that's, that's kind of the reality of what's going on. And you see the extremeness of that kind of brutality of that world. Uh, and you just think, I don't know. This like Disney can't, they're taking something so brutal <laughs> and really, Disney-like. really romanticizing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they do have like this weirdly serious tone to the whole film. Like, I'm not sure that kids would today would really find it that exciting. Uh, like for example, the, like there there are kind of slapstick animals in it, but they don't they can't talk or anything because supposedly that would be too fantastical. But there's still animals going around hitting each other and stuff. So it's really it's a strangely tonally awkward film.
0: And to uh, make it worse, the puzzle platform on the Mega Drive is really middling as well.
1: Really, unbelievable. Was it like The Lion King and Aladdin, like really elaborate animation and stuff?
0: Uh, yes, obviously, *Aladdin* and *The Lion King* are really good. *The Lion King* oh, stuff, but um, cool. with with yeah, it's much more of a slow-paced puzzle platform where you kind of take over other animals and t- to move forward, kind of like *The Lost Vikings* in a way. Right. But it's just a little bit cumbersome, um, right. and the foregrounds get mixed up with the backgrounds, obviously. Um, so the last thing we we're, we're here then to talk about is as is, is, is we Don *The Dragon Wilson* in virtual combat.
1: <sighs> yeah.
0: Now. I want to preface this by saying that I believe that there is a sweet spot in the 1990s when budget met writing before they just started chucking anyone who knew martial arts in a film and hoping that something good would happen. (laughs) This is not that sweet point. This film was like, it, it was so, it was the perfect meld of having a martial artist who cannot act. Yeah. in a film that was badly edited and directed with a nonsensical story and loads of really awkward character motivations.
1: It really made no sense, the story. Why people were in certain places. Some of the coincidences in that film were staggering. <laughs> yeah. Like where he rocks up at that homeless shelter and happens to meet one of the robots. It's like, what? How would that even happen? <laughs> it's, it's like the only so- people living in L.A. or wherever it is are just the cast of this film. <laughs> so, so the story is that
0: it's 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 the future. It's probably 1996 or something, and th- there's they. It's like everyone is hips deep in these kind of like sex because it's directed by Andrew Stevens, who we all know from stuff like Fatal Instinct Two and Body Chemistry Four. So he was a, he was basically a softcore porn actor with Shannon Tweed and Shannon Weary in the '90s, and then he had a chance to do his directorial debut. So there's lots of boobs in it. And it's the story is that like sex, virtual sex robots represent people having sex with these virtual sex robots are represented as in like this kind of spinning wheel.
1: Yeah. With like with a like NASA a, style training thing. Like, yeah. It's Weird. Yeah.
0: Like that would be sexy. Like you just spewing because of the G force is sexy. Um, and so the next step obviously is saying that says, oh, I've actually found, made this goo. That means that these kind of sex bots can come to life. Yeah. And so they come out of this goo and of course the first thing that happens is the the evil guy who runs the corporation that does these sort of sex bot things. Literally these women come out of this goo and he instantly yeah. says, Wicked, I'm taking them three up to my room and we're yeah. just gonna just release says, them on right. the world. Mass market. Yeah.
1: He instantly says that without any kind of like questions or research or, or anything. Wonder
0: at wonder, like, you know, the techno- technological advancements. Wicked, and within we'll
1: seconds it. they're snapping the scientist's neck. <laughs> yeah.
0: So there's also the yeah, other so the main bad guy um, we'll get on to him in a minute is the main bad is released because it kind of malfunctions and it releases like the main boss called Dante actually mm. um, Dante from, from of this like fighting game. Uh so name, but Peak. He, he, he Dante Peak. Um Dante Peter Peak. <laughs> he it doesn't speak for some reason that is never explained in the real world. He just looks at things, frowns, and shakes his mullet a bit, and then there's just this really doom laden voice over as he has got his mouth closed. And it is dreadful. And we assume it's because it's a foreign actor that doesn't know English and they couldn't be bothered to post it yes he can he can fight but he can't act Yeah, um, but it's the whole thing is just just a parade of nonsense um, <laughs> Dragon Wilson cannot act and he is surrounded <laughs> by people that also cannot act and there's genuinely a sequence as we mentioned at the start of this podcast where he is chasing Dante the bad guy through he's a cop after him, actually no he's not even he works on a dam, he's not even a cop he's no. like a dam worker and he chases him through this kind of um, it's like a an industrial complex, and there's a shot of him climbing down a ladder and mm. then the next shot is him on the roof.
1: He's climbing, not just climbing down a ladder, but climbing down a ladder into like a, a catacomb-like dark room.
0: Of steaming of pipes. With like light amazing.
1: pouring in from above but then it's in darkness so you think, right, all oh, going to the belly of the beast, next shot, boom on the roof.
0: <laughs> How? It's baffling. Absolutely baffling. <laughs> and you said that the whole film would be solved if someone just had a gun. Yes. Because they it, keep getting into these awful, like, like sort of awfully choreographed <laughs> fights, when if someone just pulled a gun and shot them, they'll just be it.
1: Yeah, if that's all they needed to do, someone, it, like, either, it could work either way. So either Dante's Peak, could, he could have pulled out a gun and just shot um, Don the Dragon, or the other way around, Don the Dragon just pulled out a gun and shot one of them. Because they've got
0: all these like light, like like Taser things, haven't
1: they? These yes. like laser guns. But people are constantly just getting shot by them, and there's no effect. like no, just you shot. get shot. Like Don the Dragon Wilson gets shot in the back by one of them, and it just and he just means he's got a slightly bad back. He can still walk around. He's fine. It's no blood or anything. I don't. It's not even as good as a Taser. It's fabling.
0: Um And of course, the scenes in it where they try to delve into the morality of of these kind of like live sex bots, bringing them into the real world and what that entails. Now that they live outside of their programming. Yeah. That is not handled with any grace. <laughs> no.
1: the, the, the whole thing about, um, so the, the women, the sex bot women, they come out and entirely capable of functioning in this world, this alien world to them. And so they're getting around the place, making decisions, etc., being very confident. And then
0: with the full the, geographical this, knowledge of LA, yeah,
1: and then, and then there's a scene where one of them meets Don the Dragon Wilson and suddenly she becomes, she's like, I do not understand your ways and all this kind of stuff. It's like, what? It's just suddenly turned into like a, a 50s movie about some tribeswoman, like, I don't know, uh, what, the, you know, like a,
0: uh,
1: a Doug, Doug McClure film. You know those ones where they they go to like uh, a lost world of Atlantis or whatever, find a tribeswoman who can speak English, of course, and she's like, uh, and she's like, oh, I, I do not understand your ways, but I understand sex basically. That's basically what what it is. Yeah, and then Don says, oh, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. Yeah, it's is, um, it- it's what uh, the there's a YouTube right I I quite like. Is it the uh, pop? Detective? Something like that. Anyway, he talks a lot about tropes in like films and stuff. And he calls it the uh born stupid yesterday, I think he calls it trope, which is this particular trope in films, particularly sexist trope in films, where it will be like whether it's a a tribeswoman or whatever, but the it'll be like the sexy woman who's completely brainless, um, and needs to be guided by the man and taught how to like function in the world sort of thing, but she's obviously really hot and attracted to him. Uh, and it's like it's almost like she's just becomes a puppet for him and that's essentially what that what that particular scene was about
0: i think as well it 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 really focuses on a problem that happens with a lot of martial arts films where they they get a martial artist in and they think wicked you know he can he he's an actual like real world champion at at his chosen yeah. martial art but then because it's so badly choreographed and edited and because the people he's fighting don't have the same level of skill, it just looks really, they either cover it up by having like really quick edits so you're not really enjoying it anyway, or it's just really uh, clunkily filmed and it just looks yeah. really stupid, like two dickheads fighting in a car park.
1: <laughs> so there's yeah. no
0: joy on any level no. of it.
1: No, and it makes you realise the need for a good choreographer. Born sexy yesterday was the trope I, I was thinking of. Um, yeah pop culture detective uses the yeah you mentioned this born sexy yesterday so very hot sexy women know how to seduce men but don't have a clue about anything else basically uh, yeah it's bad uh, so yeah that wasn't the best and there wasn't that much virtual stuff in it really was there I, I kind of wanted there to be more lawnmower man like early CGI stuff oh, God. that would have been cool anything would have been, <laughs> been
0: better than what it was anything would have been better than what it was <laughs> <laughs> so you know. um yeah, so that sums up this episode. But um yeah, it's it was an interesting mix of films this week, I gotta oh, say.
1: I didn't it's... watch many good films, I've gotta say, but yeah.
0: Well I was gonna say to you, what is your film of the week?
1: Well, I do think Just Mercy, because it's the only true, well, I mean Aaron Brockovich is quite good as well, but Just Mercy was the only really good film I watched basically over this period. Like, all the rest were, like, okay, or uh, flawed. Or so actively bad. Or actively bad, yes. Um For me, I'd probably say
0: Mission Impossible Fallout, because I really generally thought it was a... Like, I, when, if... You know, on the poster, they just say things like, brilliant, five stars. Like, I can imagine this poster saying, like, a breathtaking thrill ride, and I would mm. be like, yeah, I actually agree with that, because it is yeah. genuinely this full-on... Like, yeah. easily could have been split in the two films, but I'm glad it... W-
1: no. Yeah, I so, think it... Yeah. Very good stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that then.
0: That's that. So I mean, have you got... Uh, again, to- usual question. Have you got any... <laughs> have you more coming to Annihilation where they replace They replace Christopher Lambert with someone else. They kill off Lyndon Ashby in the first scene and the ancient Chinese Emperor turns out to be no other than Brian
1: Thompson. <laughs> so definitely worth a watch that one. Um, um <laughs> Uh, yeah I'm not sure what's uh, coming up next oh, they do
0: replace script lamp with James Ramar so no, it's not too oh bad. well there you go can't argue with that
1: who doesn't um, talk like he needs to take his inhaler all the time <laughs> um, yeah I haven't really got anything um, particular lined up uh, nothing's really tickling my fancy but I'll just watch some trash whatever's on really <laughs>
0: I watch any old cock that comes on the telly. To be honest, um, yeah, I'm the same. I've got, I quite like it though because we have got nothing lined up, and I know that like they'll uh, now that I'm broadening my horizons into like films that cost more than fifteen quid. I, I'm looking forward to seeing some real corkers Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's because uh, there was a time when I'd literally only be watching horror films, and I haven't seen a horror film in a good long while. So maybe I need a a little horror marathon.
0: That'll be cool. Right then, I'll love you and leave you. All right, uh, and um, I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye bye. Love you. Bye. Love you too. (laughs) What?